0: Hey, it's the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm Real Samson Folk, and you're tuning in after the Raptors lost to a vaunting, vaunting, is that a term? The vaunted Jazz, I should say, who rained hellfire from downtown on them to the tune of 119 points to the Raptors, somewhat paltry in comparison, and just relative to NBA offense, 103. That's right, 119 to 103. The Raptors lose this one to the Jazz, falling to 7 and 9 on the season. The Jazz now 10 and 5. And the Raptors, a lot of things going wrong in this game. A couple things going very right, but that didn't outweigh the things that went horribly. And largely among those is the Jazz are, I would say, almost built exactly to punish the Raptors' scheme and their overall crazy, scrambling defense when the Jazz have like Jordan Clarkson Joe Ingles, Donovan Mitchell, and uh, Royce O'Neill, or any, like any number of their other guys, right? Mike Conley, around Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside. All those guys can make a play off of advantage. And when the Raptors, who scramble, like they scramble a lot just normally, but they turned it up to 11 to start this game and absolutely had to endure a barrage from downtown and at the bucket where I think Gobert and Whiteside combined nine of nine to start the game out because the Raptors were basically trapping ball screens in the middle of the floor. They switched later in the game to trapping ball screens on the sidelines, like side pick and rolls. And that's much better. You there's just way less for a team to do for a player to do like you have way less options if you're trapped on the sideline than the middle of the floor. The Raptors are trapping in the middle of the floor. The ball was going to Rudy Gobert sometimes, and credit to Rudy Gobert, he was making great reads against the Raptors' defense while in motion. And the Raptors tried to zone up and tried to make to put him in difficult decisions, difficult situations. But he did a pretty good job countering that. And when they would play the ball to the side from the middle, right, they're getting trapped in the middle of the floor. They play the ball to the side. The Jazz, who that's what they that's what they have. Gobert has the gravity rolling to the rim. And he rolls to the rim. And then they have four guys outside of that who can handle. And no matter what, they had a guy who could pass, make reads, handle, or shoot, operating in these four-on-three situations that the Raptors were giving up by proxy of their scheme. They're just straight away, they run a ball screen, four-on-three, death. Because the Jazz, that's what they do. When they have advantage, they attack and move off ball, and they cut incredibly well, and they... That's, that's their whole deal. That's their game. And so the Raptors, I mean, to some degree, like they had some successful possessions against it where that length really kicked in and maybe a passing read that Joe Ingles saw earlier in the game. He thought, I can get there again. And it wasn't really there. And Donovan Mitchell had six turnovers in this game. The Raptors forced 23. But when you allow 19 threes on 42%, it's just not going to cut it. And they shot 55% overall. Like, that's the whole deal. Royce O'Neal, six of eight, okay? Four of six from three. Rudy Gobert, seven of seven from the four. Hassan Whiteside, four of five from the four. They're allowing easy shots to the bucket if they collapse out to the three-point line. They're allowing easy shots at the three-point line if they're collapsing at the bucket. And mind you, the Raptors' tags were all over the place. Sometimes they completely missed the tag. Sometimes they would send two guys to tag. And then, even when the Raptors were switched to a more conservative scheme and were just trying to play either, like, you know, the the level of the screen differs because screens are set at all types of levels, but the Raptors started doing it a few feet below it, and then they started doing a little bit deeper drop. The Jazz made great reads regardless, and it was the weak side defense a lot of the time where guys like Gary Trent Jr. or Scotty Barnes, I thought they were the most egregious in this game. As far as off-ball defense those guys were just missing tags or their rotations were just blowing up the defense. And while guys like Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam certainly weren't as potent defensively as their usual selves, uh, I didn't think that most of the breakdown started with them. And Kem Birch, I mean, Kem Birch has had a great year to start defensively, but in this game, he wasn't good either. And you're left to wonder, well, how does he exist in this scheme where he's on the back end of these plays and he has to cover a ground, you know, as a guy, that's that's what he's doing. He's covering space defensively. He's not guarding a man. He's guarding his zone And an increasingly large one that the Jazz are just picking apart with great reads, <laughs> passes, shooting, all that. So the Raptors, like they got a little bit close in that second quarter with an absolutely fantastic run from Fred where they switched up the looks, right? They started trapping on the sideline. They went a little bit more conservative with how they were defending the ball screens. And then Fred just busted off, I think, three triples in a row. Hell yeah, Fred. And the Raptors got back into it. But that was just a flash in the pan. The, the Jazz kept working out what they wanted to do offensively. And Rudy Gobert, I thought, had just a monstrous defensive game. He was really good in this one. He, he really affected Pascal Siakam, who Pascal was not good tonight. Straight up, just not good. He needed to have the jumper going. Other games where Pascal has had good performances against the Jazz, which historically he has, it's been because he's willing to space out. He was a 36% three-point shooter the one year. He shot like 40% on catch and shoots in 2019-20. That's a guy who, if the defense is going to sag, he catches the ball, he puts it up from three. He can hit five threes in a game, like 2019-20 Pascal Siakam. The jumper's still not there. He's still not super confident in it. And he wasn't willing to just try and make it rain from downtown. That led to him forcing things offensively, turnovers where he's trying to squeeze passes into too close of places. And like when he's taking the ball out, I'm sure people remember that was at the 2014 slash or dash 15 Hawks with where they had four all-stars, including Kyle Corver and their starting lineup one what player of the week or some player of the month, I should say. Jeff Teague used to, because he was super fast back then, he used to back up and then burst into space and take guys in iso that way. Pascal tried to do that on Gobert, but Gobert covers space just fine. Like there's different ways you can get him out of sorts and you can pick on the Jazz defensively. But isoing on Gobert is not, unless you're Steph Curry, right, is not really a recipe for success. And Pascal got maybe a bit too big for his britches in some occasions. And I mean, <laughs> the Jazz packed the paint on him. He made the passes the way he should have in the first half. The ball was moving pretty well. Guys like Gary Trent Jr. were shooting the hell out of the ball, as was Fred. And the Raptors kept it moving and stayed in the game. But when those jumpers stopped dropping at the same rate and the Jazz had adjusted a little bit in how they want to play, not as many of those jumpers were available. Pascal was forced to just try and create. And in this game, wasn't there, man. Just four points, three rebounds, five assists. And the four turnovers, those hurt a lot because you could see a turnover coming during the play, and you knew he was going to try something. And he also, he could have had like six turnovers. Just not a good game. It's tough to see, but the the two bright spots in this one were Fred and Gary, obviously. But the, the defensive game plan, they change like, and credit to the Jazz. The Jazz are a buzz saw. You know, they play beautiful basketball. They played a really good game tonight. Just... A plethora of guys made great reads. Gobert was making really good reads. O'Neal was making good reads. Conley, good reads. Bogdanovich, good reads. Ingles, good reads. Clarkson, good reads. No know how many assists those guys had? Conley, seven. Bogdanovich, six. Ingles, eight. Clarkson, four. Like, these guys are passing the ball around. And Gobert only had one assist, but he had a couple hockey assists, too. Making the right play. That's just all you want to see, and that's what they did. Beautiful basketball. So... Even though the Raptors changed the defensive scheme a little bit, they altered with it, and that's all you can ask for. This game, they were just outmatched. And on top of that, like, Rudy Gay hit a 26-foot three and then hit a 27-foot three. Like, they were feeling it a little bit. They were stretching the Raptors out, and there was no recourse, basically, with what they had, you know, on defense. It's, they would have to play a completely different brand of defense, and they would have to start, and they would have to be able to practice with it, and against this version of the Jazz on this night, there was no recourse. The Jazz were the better team. They played a better game, and the Raptors got whooped. The, I, didn't, I don't see a route to victory in this game. The Jazz were just really good, and they're a really good team. Sometimes that's the NBA. Of course, there's still things to complain about. Like, if you want to say, hey, Siakam, we wanted you to be better. I totally get that. First half, he didn't have any idea, really, how to attack mismatches properly. He didn't take advantage of some. And a couple of those games where we saw him working as like a short roller and a screener, he was a little bit less effective in that tonight, partly because he was less willing to screen effectively. That matters. You have to give your heart and soul, not on every possession, that's not feasible, but on more possessions and not just the ones where you think you're going to be the guy who finishes the play or you're going to be involved in it more intimately or whatever, right? Like Pascal dropped the ball a little bit in that regard. And and he also, this was a really tough game for him. OG Ananobi is out. The spacing gets even worse. And the Raptors bench has been really bad. So he's left to try and create against a Jazz defense that if Pascal's not going to shoot the ball, if he's not going to take threes, then they are geared very well to defend him. Guys are going to pinch in Conley, you know, O'Neal, and Gobert is waiting at the back of everything to just swat anything around the rim. It's, it's you know, that's a good defensive team schematically against what Pascal is currently working with. He can't work in the margins and, you know, like when we were watching the short rolls that he was making against the Blazers or the Pistons, like just making great reads and stuff like that. That doesn't exist against this Jazz team because they're not going to push up. They're going to wait back and say, hit the shot, brother. Let's see what happens. And yeah, in this game, that wasn't the case. The bright spot, though, Gary Trent Jr., I mean, just a wonderful game of counters. There are a couple of shots that he made that the ball came to him. He made a jumper. But largely in this game, this was like a self-creation spectacle. That's right. I said it. A self-creation spectacle. He was awesome. It, it A guy would bite on a fake. And you watch, you watch some of these plays that an NBA player makes, right? And you say, oh, he could have gone this way. And you have the bird's eye view. So you have a way better view than the player does, typically, of the court. And you can see reads that players should make. Gary Trent Jr. was making all the right reads for his own scoring. And on top of that, shot 12 of 18, a really hard diet of shots. And like that's the thing. He's not creating easy looks for himself. That's why, you know, you have to let him plug in next to these other guys so that he plugs in, he feels out how he's playing, and he can, let's say, toggle how much he wants to take each game. He can start to press a little bit if he feels like he has it going, or he can fade a little bit and just become a spacer or a cutter, you know, alongside other players. And he can still threaten with his gravity and help space out these plays. In a game like this, he felt it, man. He had the hot hand. He kept it going, 12 of 18. And just, I I thought he was masterful, honestly, in the way that he got to his own shots. He'd get a guy off balance and he'd go the perfect way. I mean, that up and under, that scoop layup on Gobert, that's not an easy feat to pull off, not only to get Gobert up in the air because Gobert doesn't need to jump to block shots. And he's, he's not like a, he's not a jump happy big. He, he plays good solid defense when he can just keep his feet on the ground. He's not worried about it. So he got him up in the air. And then to scoop by him, stay square and have the touch to lay the, the layup off the glass because he was moving fast. You know, you have to decelerate that arm. It was really impressive. And Fred, I mean finding Kem Birch however many times, not even on the short roll, but like on the short roll twice I believe, but nashing the pick and roll and getting to Kem Birch as Kim, like he's underneath the basket and Kem is floating into the around the charge circle area and he's finding lanes. He's finding ways to get it to him. Really in the first half just a, a super nice pop of playmaking. And then the shooting I mean, Fred has been so impressive this year. He's just, he's kind of blown my mind, really. Even though he's still not passing guys into layups. Even though, and like, don't, I don't mean to be down on him, but like, the shots he created for Kim in this game weren't really layups. Not, not truly. So what? Fred isn't getting a lot of layups. He's not creating a lot of them either. But what the hell, man? He's just been so good at everything else. Just shut up, Sam. Who cares? Why would you care about this? He's been so damn good this year. He, he's he been all-star level. Without a doubt, he's been all-star level. So it doesn't matter. And yeah, just a really, really great first half from him. And then in the second half, I, he was still good. It just mattered less because the Jazz were buzzsawing their way through the defense. And Scotty, you know, a nice little pop from mid-range. And especially the, the reads he was making as a connective passer. He found Birch on a couple of those little duck-ins and stuff like that. He he was really good too. As far as the types of shots he was creating early in the year where he was getting like shooting over 50% from the floor and having like eighteen to 18 to 25 game in and game out and averaging 18 a game, that's not really there anymore. That's not exactly there. But there's still lots of things to like in a game-to-game basis. The defense in this one, you know, forced a couple turnovers, but I think largely like defending in space was... So- it was an odyssey for him. It wasn't something that went super well. The bench, I mean, Malachi Flynn, 2 of 9, he's in a tough spot, man, because he's just put into these games, like, run the pick and roll, make shots. If a guy pops open, make the pass. But in this one, like, the shots didn't go down. You can And you can see he adds a little bit of pop and downward momentum, even if he's not getting all the way to the rim. He's just a little bit more athletic, a little bit more sleek and quicker on ball than some of the players that the Raptors roster. And so he has a different look, albeit not a successful one tonight. And the rest of the bench, just especially Chris Boucher, like he he boarded the ball, but offensively and defensively was really confused with the what he was doing in space and stuff like that. And Banton and Svi, this was a tough game for them as well because the spacing, right? Both these guys are guys who work well off of other players. That's where they are currently. And when, you know, by the time the second half rolled around and the Raptors were trying to make stuff happen, it wasn't shaking. Nothing was going on. It was a tough game from that standpoint. And I, I wasn't super interested in what they were doing because it was a lot of it was really bad. So anyway, Reggie Evans award winner. I'm giving it to Fred VanVleet. I didn't give it to anybody last game. I was like, man, they didn't really, nobody provided that pop. But I'm going to give it to Fred tonight. A lot of miles on those shoes, you know. He's gnashing the pick and roll every second possession. He's got a lot of places to go. There's a lot of work. And he hustles, man. Steady, Freddy. Do that time. Oh, God, I see the quick reaction comment, the top one. Okay, let's talk about it. Ah, Okay. Top quick reaction comment. From Alex Costa, quote, It's honestly time to move on from Pascal. He clearly needs to play with a number one option to unlock his talents, and that's not with the Raptors. Use him, Flynn, Boucher, and Dragic to get back pieces we need. I feel with a true good center, this team would be a, a contender. This is Scotty's team now, so let's get to work. End quote. Dog, I, what do you mean a true good center? Like, Rashawn Holmes is a true good center, He's in all-star contention early on in the year with Sacramento, and the Raptors wouldn't pay him $12 million a year, an absolute bargain, okay? They walked away from the bargaining table, okay? There was a, a true good center that was available, and the Raptors said no, okay? And Pascal, he clearly needs to play with the number one option. You can make $31 million a year and still play with the number one option. Chris Middleton made $36 million last year. Drew Holiday made 30 They were both not number one options, and they just won a chip. I, Tobias Harris makes $36 million. Guys who are making the same amount of money as Pascal, okay? Roughly. Kevin Love, Andrew Wiggins, CJ McCollum, Ben Simmons, D'Angelo Russell, Gordon Hayward, Blake Griffin, Tobias Harris, Drew Holiday, all in the same ballpark. Here's the thing, man. Max contract does not mean he's making $48 million a year like Russell Westbrook. It doesn't mean he's making $44 million a year like John Wall. He's making 31. Most of his contemporaries are worse players than him in the same contract range. Just the contract thing, you you got to approach it with a little more nuance. Move on from him. You have to know who you're trading for, and they have to be able to do it too. You can't just wave Pascal out there and say, hey, can I have a trade? What are we doing here, man? I don't get it. Anyway, Alex, thanks for writing in. Uh, Yeah, thanks for listening, listener. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) enjoy your night. Thanks for tuning in, whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.